Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to November 1st, Blazers Warriors, Locked On Edition of both of our podcasts, I'm your host of Lockdown Blazers, Eric Garcia Gunderson, and I'm joined by Danny LaRue, host of Lockdown Warriors, and my co-host for Lockdown Blazers, Dane Carbaugh. What's up, guys? Yeah, glad to be on. Let's do it. Eric, I'm pretty sure that Warriors fans are going to want you to be scheduled every time the Warriors and Blazers play each other, because right now it's 2 nothing for pretty strong performances by Golden State with a lot of shakiness in between. Yeah, it feels like the Blazers are almost like the um, the the stability that they just bring the stability to the Warriors. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of different things in this, and I mean, the Warriors, generally speaking, have struggled a little bit defensively, kind of to find their identity in the absence of you know of Bogut and Festus Zeli, you know, current Blazer but still out, and. Tonight was an indication that, yeah, they still do have something close to the fastball they had last year. And they absolutely didn't in the first quarter, in the first half when Lillard was playing really well and everything like that. But the idea that the Warriors can still get stops and everything that comes with that later on, and as they did in particularly the third quarter, was notable in its own way. Yeah, I I, I thought that... uh the the warriors uh just really showed what they can be and they got lots of great contributions tonight Ian Clark I think is a guy who stood out to me uh Ian Clark who I once ran into at the Salt Lake City Airport very nice guy uh I don't know yeah that's my Ian Clark story by the way that I told you guys about but um the Blazers themselves did not perform very well. The Warriors, uh, Steph Curry, amazing in the third quarter. It seemed obviously that's kind of redundant to say Steph Curry and amazing in the same sentence, but he was. And uh, yeah, Blazers really took one on the chin tonight. Yeah, I think a big portion of what I really saw in the third quarter in terms of, I know that it's Steph Curry going up against them, but he really exposed a weakness on their interior defense, being able to, yes, he had a couple, you know, he had three three-pointers, I think, directly in a row or something, but he had he also had those two uh, drives where he ended up with and ones, a little up and under, using the basket to defend against the defender. Um, and that's just kind of shows against really elite teams against really elite point guards like that, or elite dribblers, I should say the Blazers are still going to suffer. And I think 
just sort of going back to the Evan Turner thing is that um, the Blazers' defense needs to be better, and they need Evan Turner to be better on defense on that wing to help dig down and, and, and slow some of those guys up. Well, and that ties in with something that Warriors fans have been noticing for the last couple of games is that instability defensively anywhere hurts you everywhere. And while you don't think that a three like Evan Turner being shaky there necessarily helps Stephen Curry get a bucket, you know, at moments it does. It doesn't always, you know, if he shoots a 30 footer, he shoots a 30 footer. But at other moments, you know, that that kind of that kind of shakiness or a guy may be helping in the wrong way. There are lots of different ways that a defense can struggle that you can get spillover effects that do other things. And Portland, despite their many gifts, they don't really have those traditional rim protecting centers that they're giving minutes to right now. I mean, I have high hopes for for Festus if he gets to play. Maybe Ed Davis can can fit that role if you play him with the starters a little bit more. But that's not really what they do right now. And the Portland's a spectacular team, but they have different strengths. Yeah, they they, they definitely just I, I think to an extent as well, they I thought that they were going to be ahead of the learning curve, and it seems like with Turner, they've really just hit another one. And they are still, I think, figuring themselves out on the bench, which I think last year was a major key to the their run down the stretch. And I think right now uh, one of their struggles is, is just uh, finding consistent play that is not only productive for Evan Turner individually, but productive for the team as a whole yeah I, the thing i noticed tonight too was the words very specifically it seemed to me while i was watching their defensive strategy when turner and aminu were in the game together they let turner drive and sag back on him and then did not rush out to aminu at all they wanted him to shoot so danny if we're talking about the thing where okay we're not seeing um Evan Turner passed the ball. Maybe it's Eric that said that, but we're not seeing Evan Turner pass the ball. That's the reason why those passes aren't successful is because Aminu cannot shoot yet this season. Who knows if he will catch on. And that's those, those two, maybe that lineup doesn't work. Maybe those players don't need to play that many minutes together. I don't know. Well, um, Aminu, just one thing that I want to jump onto that I thought about earlier in the season and the Warriors showed it tonight was something that I was concerned about. And that is that teams still, as great as Aminu shot last year and as great as he played for the Blazers last year, teams still do not respect his jump shot against Lillard and McCollum. And I thought that tonight you shot, you obviously saw, you know, worst case scenario of the, that strategy. And it's going to take Aminu or Harkless or someone, I don't know who it is. I mean, tonight was in the fourth quarter. It was Jake Lehman. I mean, hitting threes, but like someone's going to have to hit threes at that three, four swing position alongside Lillard and McCollum and also give them competent defense for them to get to wherever they want to go. Yeah, agreed. Well, I mean, something that is just a part of the NBA is that reputation as a shooter is a lagging indicator. You know, it's something that, I mean, with certain exceptions, generally speaking, it lasts too long for guys once they kind of lose it a little bit and it comes a little bit late. And so at moments that's going to hurt Aminu because, you know, he's not consistent enough. You know, he has a little bit of variance to his shot and the Warriors were relatively successful in the playoffs last year, letting him shoot his shot. The same with Mo Harkless. Harkless, I believe went over three tonight. And so they're going to go with that strategy, specifically them as long as it works. And you also have to consider, I mean, one of the downsides of having those guys and, you know, if they're going to have off nights is that even if they're doing better, 
that's still a trade-off in terms of expected value that you're going to make because Lillard and McCollum are so good. Right, and and it's also the trade-off that the open shots that they are getting are not causing the same stress on the defense that maybe another guy's shots are getting. And so tonight we really saw, you know, I've really been a proponent throughout the preseason, throughout training camp, throughout the summer of the Aminu Harkless pairing with Lillard McCollum. But tonight you saw the downside of it. They go 0 for 9 from 3. And even when they're catching the ball and they're not making threes, they're not drawing the defense to them because they don't have the reputation. And so that, I guess, opens the door that if these teams were ever to play each other in a series, perhaps the Blazers would have to look at starting Alan Crabb for more and playing him more minutes just because he's just a better shooter than both of those guys. But yeah, really, go ahead. You do run into an issue with that though, because of Kevin Durant. I mean, well, I, I wouldn't say that Harkless had a, a great night defensively on him. He did, he did a pretty good job. And that's, you know, I think that they would be worried about Crab doing it. And, and again, making tr- decisions, tough decisions, trade-offs and everything like that is a challenge that happens when you deal with good teams. I mean, when you play in the regular season, first of all, you don't necessarily do those sort of intricate game plans for everybody. So that leads to things, you know, teams going a little bit more generic, a little bit more half-baked, let's say, for their schemes in, in an individual game. But also... You know, there 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 are situations like that where, you know, it's going to be a disadvantage and you just kind of have to choose your poison. And I mean, teams have to do that with Lillard and McCollum all the time. So Portland fans should be pretty familiar with it. So despite, let's call it an uneven outcome tonight, both of these teams have something to look forward to. And more importantly, in some ways, both of these fan bases do. And one of the best ways to experience both of these teams is to do so in person. And the best way that you can do that is through SeatGeek, which is the best ticket app and the best website for buying tickets as a sports fan or a music fan, if that's your thing, this basketball season or football season, if you also want to go check out some football games. Yeah, that's a little bit more pertinent probably for my listeners than yours, but that's true. I mean, they could go up to Seattle for a Seahawks game. But yeah, SeatGeek is great because it has that versatility, and you can also get aspects like deal scores. You can you you can also judge it for yourself, but if you want to use their judgment in terms of whether that seat at that price is is a good way to, to spend your money. And, you know, even though I was in the ticket business for, for years buying and selling tickets, I found that it was a great way of evaluating that myself. So I, I trusted their judgment more than I... More than I expected to be considering my experience. And you can also set up price alerts. It's super convenient. You can set reminders so that SeatGeek lets you know when the price is going to change for or when the price is changing for a specific game and whether they're going up or down. And then you can kind of make a judgment call then whether you want to buy those tickets then. And it gives you all the most info because it aggregates from all of the tickets websites. It's kind of like kayak.com, but for, for sports tickets. And while our discount that we'll talk about in a second is about buying tickets, it's also a good way to sell tickets because when you think about the way that markets work, you know, you want to have your tickets for sale in a place that people want to buy them and where people should and are buying them is SeatGeek. Yeah, and and, and the best part about SeatGeek is that our listeners get a $20 rebate with their first SeatGeek purchase. And you can do that by going and downloading the SeatGeek app, open the settings tab, and click add a promo code, and type in promo code LOBLAZERS. Or if you want to support the show of the winning team, you can go to LO Warriors, whichever you prefer. Download the SeatGeek app, 
and get your free rebate today. Yeah, I think that um, the biggest problem that Portland has is kind of the same one that they had last season. I think if you're looking at them from you know, another time zone or two time zones away, you're thinking that this team is going to shoot a bunch of threes, and that's correct. And they are going to shoot a bunch of threes, and they're going to shoot a bunch of threes against teams that aren't that, that good. And they're going to make a lot of threes, and then make a bunch of threes against teams that are pretty good. But if teams game plan specifically for them or have something that's sort of akin to their poison pill, like the Warriors had tonight, they're going to be able to basically lock down and say, we're going to push Damian and CJ off the line, and we're going to let Mo Harkless, who, you know, Mo Harkless and Aminu kind of have really odd individually separate, but odd um, shooting strokes and, and setups to their shot. And while they've shown to be able to hit threes in the past, Harkless had one, you know, above league average season in Orlando. Uh, I mean, you obviously had last season here in Portland. Um, good teams are going to be able to, I think, push that. And that's the biggest weakness because it shuts down everything you have with uh, Mason Plumley being in the starting lineup as a passer. Again, those passing lanes get clogged. If people are collapsing on Lord and CJ and you don't care to go out to the arc to the other guys. And the, that's kind of the same thing we're seeing with Turner. Yeah. When you have a bunch of players who are basically, I'm just going to call them for the purposes of this conversation, negative spacing players like Plumley, like Aminu, like Harkless that aren't going to draw defenders to them. It really makes it hard when those guys aren't, doing aren't making i guess what those defenses that are guarding them would think to be unexpected made shots and so it's yeah it's it's a difficulty for this team and you look at the guys on the team and you think you know they maybe they have some other counters to bring on some more shooting and help create more space in a certain matchup like this but we didn't we didn't really see them tonight and we didn't really see and i don't think that there's really that effective of a counter on the Blazers roster when it comes to this team. I think the Warriors just present a very specific mismatch that makes a lineup that is otherwise very effective in the NBA and was a very effective starting lineup last year look very ordinary. Right, I agree. It's not like you're going to say make a switch to all the progress we saw Harkless make and the you know the stats that O'Shea has about moving Amino over to the four and panic and say uh, we don't have quite enough shooting, so we're going to hope that Noah Vonleh is good at sliding to the corner, or we're going to play Myers Leonard, you know, thirty minutes a game when he's not ready for that. that you're right; it doesn't make any sense. Well, you have to give Harkless a little bit of credit because it must be hard to shoot threes with your legs spread apart like you're being lowered onto a horse. Yes, I, I actually, I, that's, a, that's a better analogy. I said it looked like he was trying to, uh, you know when you try to walk across the beams in an attic so you don't step through the ceiling? I look like he shoots like he's trying to walk, walk across the beams in an attic. But I, I, I was, I was workshopping a few, like I thought it was like he was standing on both sides of a picket fence. There, there are various <laughs> ones that you could go with. But yeah, it's, it's just weird to see that. Just, just because I want to give you guys a little bit of consternation and because it's a part of this game story. Can I rattle through Curry's third quarter stats quickly? Absolutely. So he played all 12 minutes. He was eight for 12 from the field, five of six from three, two of two from the line. So a total of 21 points, two rebounds. And then what in some ways for a guy who is a point guard, zero assists, zero turnovers. That's pretty incredible. He was the the things that he was doing. He was he was just playing with the Blazers in that quarter. Yeah. 
it was it was absolutely stupid. The, I mean, like I said earlier, the the three pointers he had a couple, especially the ones that are on the far side of the camera from where I was watching, uh, were amazing. But the the ones where he was just taken out, just ripping out their guts, were those two and one calls down low. If, if you can't stop him there, and you're gonna, you know, he jumped into Ed Davis on that one and got that foul. That's just like Ed Davis played it perfect. There's nothing you can do against you know a former league MVP like that. Crazy. He didn't used to get those calls though. That's a relatively new development. Mm, yeah, I guess two MVPs will do that for you. Maybe we'll see. I mean, that would that would fundamentally change it because one of the big differences with the Warriors adding Kevin Durant is that they're they last year and the year before, despite all of their success, they were not a successful team at getting to the line. And Durant by himself, just like Harden, fundamentally changed the Rockets in that way. Durant alters that and the Warriors are very good when they're in the bonus because they have a lot of guys who can shoot free throws they just don't have a lot of guys who generate them and so if Curry or Klay Thompson who who was who didn't do a lot of things well offensively in this game but if those guys can kick it up a little bit more depending especially like when the, when they use Durant earlier in quarters they could generate a few more opportunities and a few more easy points that way and it's not like this offense if they play like they did tonight are really going to need any extra goosing yeah, they don't need to get more efficient, but dear God, you're right. Yeah, the, that's the thing is that they can still be better than they were tonight, and it looked so easy. I mean, they had 127 in regulation, and it was like nothing. And I, that's, I think they, they only I, they only played the only player they played in the fourth quarter was basically Clay Thompson. And 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 you know, tonight is a night I think. I think we can start like calling this like a, 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 a studying this genre of basketball, the super team genre. I feel like tonight would have been a night that they that a super team would have dropped like a Miami or the LeBron super teams early in their first season. But I think tonight kind of showed also how these guys are not them and how just so seamless they can fit with one another and how it's really they lost their first game by 29, but it's really not going to be that hard to do this regularly. Portland is also a team that the Warriors get up for. They have a lot of respect for the Blazers. They had that tough series. I, I, I mean, you and I talked about it, I think on the athletic about how that was one of the hardest fought five game series I can ever remember. And the Warriors guys don't forget that they remember that. And also Portland had that huge game. I, I still think it's the best game they played in the regular season last year at the Moda center, right after the all-star game blew them out. And for better or for worse, Golden State, to a man, they have really long memories. And so there was always that possibility. When, when my, my friend Andy Liu of Warriors World said before the game, the Warriors were either going to win this game by 20 or lose it by 20. And there was a very specific reason for that. And it's that usually when they get up for a game like that, they either blow the doors off the team or like what happened to the Spurs where they, they do that and then they get deflated and then it just really gets out of hand. And so the, it ended up being the good side this time when it was the bad side on opening night. How much is that? How much of that do you think is Draymond? About fifty percent, and then fifty percent is everyone else. But but it is true with everybody. I mean, Steph, as much as he doesn't talk about it, you know he remembers everything like that. And you know, I, I don't. There's this weird thing that I generally hate in sports and sports comedy and sports. Sorry, not comedy commentary of players you know giving it their all for a specific game considering they do that all the time 
You know, this isn't a, a, you know, professional athletes getting paid millions of dollars aren't sitting there going, oh, I'm just going to give 75% every game. And then, oh, this guy said something mean about me. I'm going to go 100%. But you do see sometimes a little bit of extra juice in specific games. And it combined for Golden State in this one with them playing lackluster basketball the last two times out and really the last three times out. But the Spurs game was an aberration for a lot of reasons. And Usually the Warriors don't play two bad or three bad games in a row. And so I think they were a little bit mad about that. And so it all kind of tied together. And when they struggled early and stayed in it, I kind of had this thought in the back of my mind, like this is really bad for Portland because when the Warriors struggle and aren't out of it, that seems to energize them more. But when they kind of get dispirited, as happened happened in the Cleveland series a little bit, it happened at various other moments, they can struggle. But if they can stay in it, they're like, oh, well, this will turn around. And sure enough, it did. Yeah, and they were up at halftime by six. And I was thinking, you know, Damien was going as hard as he possibly could for those first two quarters. And then they ended up still down by six. And I think, I think Steph Curry definitely noticed that and – came out with a, an absolute, you know, stick up his butt about it because, and that, that was a disappointing thing for Portland, obviously, is that you're already down by six. You didn't need to have Steph Curry taking a look at Damian Lillard saying, essentially, Damian Lillard really wants to win this game. I can see that. I know that he's going as hard as he can and we're only up by six and no, no, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to destroy him. And that's obviously what happened. Yeah. Lillard had a pretty great game tonight, at least from the field. 31 points, 8 of 19 shooting, 4 of 10 from 3, 11 of 13 from the line, 2 assists. Uh, but I think he would have been helped a lot more if uh, some of his teammates had had uh, – he would have had more assists, I think, if his teammates had uh, maybe knocked down a lot more of those passes out of pick and rolls when the Warriors were kind of trying to shut down those lanes. And you don't want to read too much into a specific game, especially considering, you know, Curry is still making his way back. I mean, albeit after tonight, maybe more than making his way back from injury. But in that first half, he couldn't guard Lillard. I mean, every time they made that assignment, Lillard was torching him. And there are a lot of reasons why that happened. I mean, Lillard's a fantastic player and is very athletic and active, but that is something to note. And last year, Clay Thompson got that assignment a lot more, partially because Curry was either out or limited in that series. But it's not really a regular season issue. It's more of a postseason thing if these teams end up facing each other. But it is worth noting all the same and just kind of filing it away and then thinking about it the next time these teams face each other and then the last time that, the last time they face each other as well. Yeah, I, I think that matchup is interesting with Lillard and Curry because uh, I, I think that Lillard can really attack that, and I think if even Curry gets onto McCollum, McCollum can attack that. But um, I just, you know, McCollum has been a little quiet. He had a really nice finish to their game against Denver, and I think he had, and he had a pretty good game in the first game uh, against the Jazz. But he's kind of, I, th- I think he's been a little inconsistent, and I, you know, I think part of that might be also trying to find his flow uh, with Turner. Yeah, I mean, Danny, we, we've talked about how maybe it's, it's a good idea to try and separate. You talked about this when we had the last crossover Warriors-Blazers pod about how it might be a good idea to kind of give Turner his own unit. 
Well, yeah, the, I mean, so the rationale behind a stagger is that you you think that both got either that they need to keep the team afloat because that's that's a core one, which is why Oklahoma City eventually went to it. But also you're you're kind of thinking about two trade-offs. It's how well do these guys play together and how well does the team play when they're apart? And so when you think about all those things together and what I've noticed with Portland is just that they're not getting as much of a benefit from CJ being on the four with Turner as they are with, you know, with CJ and, and Dame. And so you can you can do that a couple different ways. But something I'd like to see them try is just build a lineup that's more conducive to Turner. And you're probably going to have a larger drop off, but you're also going to get a larger boost from the starting lineup. So you get to play those guys together more minutes. They have great personal chemistry. And so there is no specific equilibrium for any given team. And, you, you know, we're, I think it's becoming kind of trendy to think of it the other way, to, to think of it, oh, you know, you want to separate these guys and do it all that. But that doesn't mean it's the right answer. Sometimes you go to a bench mob because that lineup makes more sense as a five-man unit, and you don't necessarily want those guys intermingling with the starters as much. And I think they have enough, I think they have enough tools on the second unit to kind of make Turner comfortable and give him space to roam and do all the things that he likes and the ISOs and the, you know, working to that mid-range jumper and get a little bit more space. You could put, obviously they have Crab in there that can slot in alongside him and create some space there. They could give Myers Leonard more time to create more space. I, I, they have the tools to do that if they should, if they want to explore it. Yeah, I think the the biggest problem for Terry Stotts here early is unfortunately, as as kind of as as silly as it sounds now, given the context of say the last portion or well, you know, pre injury last year and then how he's looked so far, but not having Myers Leonard in the specifically as a shooter at that four spot in the second unit, which is what he was last year, that was the thing that people didn't cover him early. Then they covered him, then they didn't cover him again for some reason. It was really weird, uh, but that is very specifically how that lineup was built last season. He was that shooter and they don't have that. And if the first, you know, the, you know, before any subs basically come out, but if the three point shooting isn't working for the, the, the wing and forward rotation for the Blazers and it's just CJ and Dame, and then you're hoping Alan Crabb, well, okay, well you could just kind of, you know, if you're, if you're staggering it and Turner isn't playing as well as he is, then it's the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, well, instead of teams locking down Damien and CJ at the arc, they're just locking down Crabb and CJ at the arc. And that's 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 all it is in terms of their three point shooting. So as much as it it kind of seems ridiculous to say it, not having uh, Leonard in there to be able to shoot as the other shooter on that, you know, to have three shooters on the the second unit and possibly again stagger in on on the first unit or make that first unit a little a little uh, harder to swallow for some teams is you know really hurting the Blazers at this point in time. But you know he's not fully healthy yet and not ready to go. So we'll see. Well, as an interested bystander, what I would consider doing, and of course, I'm far from somebody who should be giving Terry Stotts advice considering his success, but I would go I would go even further and say what they should be running. If you want to go full bore with Evan Turner as the as kind of the anchor of that second unit, and I mean that in the support way, not in the dragging everything down way, is to play Myers Leonard and Vonley as the four and the five, because then you get a little bit more overall spacing and then basically see Ed Davis and and Mason Plumley as the combination starting centers. So you go in a little bit of a different direction with it. Yeah, I really like that idea. Um, and the only issue with doing that, I think, is just that because Bonley looks pretty good, especially offensively. But the only issue with doing that, obviously, is now is that 
uh, Myers is not strong enough to take on even backup centers, unfortunately, at this point in time. He still has to get his weight up. But that's actually a really good idea. Well, then the worst that happens is you just back him down, I mean, and you send help. I mean, with second unit centers, I mean, yeah, Ennis Canner and guys like yeah. that will have a big game. But you don't, like, most teams can't develop sophisticated, sophisticated, like, reactions to help on second unit centers like it's just not it's not something that really exists I, I i think a lot of teams have worried too much about that and also the idea of center defense if it i mean a lot of teams now that's also the danger of going with a full second unit is then you're a little bit more vulnerable against a team that staggers a star but i think they could do well enough to stay afloat and so if, let's say you have those two turner crab or somebody else that can shoot and then you can even go more for an off ball one i mean when when Eric and I talked about this earlier, I floated the idea of, of Napier, but it, you know it, it doesn't have to be that specific. And also, if they went to that approach, you it's not a rigid, final, permanent thing. It's just like when you have everybody healthy, you go to something like that, and then when the situation changes. But also, you can think about the kind of the marginal roster spots a little bit differently, and you can look for more limited players. I mean, even somebody like. Jake Lehman, depending on how you want to do it. I mean, I don't think he's the right guy in this long term, but you could plug and play him in a second unit four spot with that kind of a lineup a little bit more easily than some of the other stuff. I mean, this team is already super redundant. I don't think Jake Lehman's going to get time, and I don't think he's the answer. But seriously, I mean, why not? I mean, they, they, they could theoretically do that and play around with that back end of the second unit because – I think Vonley Leonard would be the first look that you'd like to look at because both of them are athletic. Both of them can space the floor. Vonley, small sample size alert, is three of seven from three so far this year. Uh, you know, and and showing more importantly, I think showing confidence in the three point shot and not thinking about it. And there's no hesitation. There's no he- break in the stroke uh, when he's shooting it. I, I think that lineup would be really interesting. And I think Davis and Plumlee both do fit better along the starting lineup. It, it, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. And I, and I think that Myers-Leonard, I think Myers-Leonard could help Turner. I think that, I think that that relationship is some, because uh, reputation is something that you touched on, Danny. And, while Vonley may be shooting the three well right now and could shoot it well for the next three and a half months, that doesn't mean teams are going to guard him. And Leonard is at least on the scouting report for teams as a three-point shooting threat. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think, uh, and the the biggest part for Myers in terms of defending is not defending other second unit setters per se. It's more the fact that he's not strong enough to get rebounds. He's not boxing out well enough, and when he gets pushed out of position on drives by opposing centers for their guards, he's reaching and fouling. So the biggest problem with Myers in terms of his strength is not necessarily guarding other bigs. It's that he can't stay in the game long enough to not foul enough because he's he's not starting to be in the position he wants and he still wants to try to help. But I think you're right. He is a, a great idea to help Turner given that, uh, yeah, he'll, you know, he just has, he has gravity. Well, would you consider using Vonley more as the nominal defensive center in those lineups and having Leonard on some of the fours just because I, they're I, not, they're not going to smoke him as much. Uh, that's tough because Vonley doesn't have any technique. That's that's the problem. He's more he's more apt to jump for pub fakes and all that kind of stuff. It's like you know Myers Leonard. Uh, it gets kicked around here in Portland, but it's not something that I think is known nationally at all. But he's he's a better he's a better post defender than people recognize, 
even for fans in Portland. That doesn't necessarily mean he's he'd be a go-to in your starting lineup at all, but um, he can at least do it. He has good enough technique, and he was strong enough, um, especially in his upper. That, that's sort of the biggest problem is he's still not a. He's never been a very strong person in his lower body. He's always been very good with his hands and arms. And since he had shoulder shoulder surgery, he has no strength uh, or you know definition in his arms and able to to play the way he plays. On the flip side, you have Vonley. I think Eric, you can maybe back me up on this where it's just like he kind of has no technique he's extremely strong but he gets grounded he gets we see him get you know i think i've noticed this season he gets caught up out by the arc a lot and just gets blown by then he's using his arms to grab at people as they they run by him so that that's that's <laughs> that's that's tough though i i do <clears throat> i am intrigued by the idea of vonley as a center not to get too far down but in certain situations, it could be interesting to say you take out Harkless or Aminu early and you slot them back into four at some point, and then you have Vonley, Turner, Crab, CJ, and Ed Davis, or, or not Ed Davis, but, uh, you know, CJ or Napier or another guard in there, and you could do some kind of stretchy lineup that still doesn't compromise maybe doesn't compromise you as much defensively especially while Leonard is still getting back into the shape that he needs to be in but when when you have a team that actually has enough wings to make it work you kind of need to use that advantage it's I I mean I've floated the idea of the Warriors playing some loony at center lineups just because you know why not try it and so it's kind of that same idea of you know, you, you, it's it's a little bit different. You are going to have specific weaknesses, but that means you just don't deploy it all the time, right? And and, yeah. I, and I think in situations, I think the conventional wisdom and something even Dane and I talked about before this game was that hey, you know, the Warriors may not be the best offensive rebounding team, and maybe you try and pound them on the boards with Davis and Vonley and see how those guys do it, but. I think maybe that's not the answer for this specific team because they just may not have the right guys to do that. And maybe for the Blazers' sake in this matchup, perhaps it is best trying to just match up on the wings and try and be small and be quick and kind of minimize that gap and see if maybe you know you catch some variance or something from CJ and Dame where you get lucky and then you can beat them. You know, because I, I, I don't necessarily know if the answer for this team is they're going to beat them up on the offensive glass and they're going to get second chances. I don't know if they can do that. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it turns into we're so deep into this rabbit hole. I just want to step back for two seconds just because it is we haven't these issues have been swirling, I suppose, over preseason in the first couple of games, but not as apparent until you play the best team in the NBA. And then you're just like, oh, my God, all these glaring holes. What is happening? And so I, obviously what Danny referenced earlier is that a lot of this is going to be way more vanilla. And it'll be sorted once, mm-hmm. say, you know, once once Myers is back, like fully healthy and all lifted up after two more months or something. And it'll be way less complicated until we're right back here during a playoff series between the Blazers and whoever they're playing. 
And a dirty little secret is that most teams don't need to worry about how much they match up with the Warriors unless you're the Cavs. You know, like really yeah. at this point, you know, like like at, at, when you you're dealing with those best teams, you know, you just get the best talent you can and you figure it out, you know, when you when you get there. That's really the way that this works out. And, you know, you you really I actually incidentally, I was critical of the way Cleveland added players this summer because I thought they did add players that matched up poorly against the Warriors. But the idea being that if you get into that situation, you can deal with it, but you just, you try to build the best team you can, you try to maximize it for most opponents. And then, you know, if, if they, you, you try your best against the elite teams, but you focus more on, you know, like what's the best Blazers lineup to beat the Clippers. What's the best Blazers lineup to beat the Rockets. What's the best lineup to beat even the Spurs, you know, like just, that's not to say that the Warriors are, you know, like that they're this upper echelon and you can't compete with them. But from a team building standpoint, you can't freak out when you lose to a team that that has four all NBA guys like that's just something that happens. Trust the process. <laughs> that is what that's actually see, they say that in Philadelphia, but we, we really are doing that. Portland is definitely trusting the process with Neil O'Shea for sure. Well, and it's Evan, a lot, Evan it's Turner a lot is a huge example you, of that. It's a lot easier when you turn it around in less than a year. You know, like that, there isn't a whole <laughs> lot of trusting the process you need to do when you tr- turn a playoff team into a playoff team. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, everything Neil O'Shea has been, uh, that's why I've been uh, less harsh, I think. Not just because I'm close to it, but just because he has had so much success. That's why I have a lot of patience for the Evan Turner signing, especially since given. You know, Portland's going to win games whether or not Evan Turner is playing well or not. That's that's kind of what we've seen so far. If Damian Lillard's going to play the way he plays, and if CJ tick, you know ticks his game up a little bit, I'm less worried with how Evan Turner assimilates over the first 20 games versus uh, I'm more concerned about the you know the last 40 or 30. So I like Gerald Henderson a lot, but I'm not going to pretend like he played well all the time. So and that's basically the guy who Turner's spot. That's that's the spot that Turner's taken in this rotation, and right. it is a concern because you spent seventy million dollars on him, and in, in situations like this, I think this is the situation that he was. The t- this is the situation that the team has sold us that he was brought in for, you know, paying attention to CJ and Dame, breaking down opposing teams, and being able to create and. It seems like he's just been able, he was able to kind of create for himself tonight, and so uh, it is a concern. But I think, you know, at the same time, there could be a game if these teams play in the playoffs where he lights it up from mid range and is and and wins a game on a fluke, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. But like, that's the playoffs, and like, I think Turner is more of like maybe a guy that you just hope like almost like J.R. Smith that like maybe he just like hits some shots in the playoffs. I don't know. And, and and maybe he figures it out, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, we're not worried about it on November first. No, well, I mean, I'm, there, I'm there's not. this there's this weird duality with Evan Turner. Like, I, I actively hated the signing for a lot of reasons, but the biggest part of it is is opportunity cost, not anything else. Because the dirty little secret as a cap nerd on this is that it's it's really Paul Allen's money. You know, like the the they were going to lose their cap space anyway. So really, the cost was not getting someone else. And we know that they struck out on other guys. So it's not like, oh, they chose Evan Turner over Chandler Parsons or something crazy like that. And they matched on a ton of other free agents and spent even more of Mr. Allen's money. So you, you think about it a little bit differently in that case. It's not like this is hamstringing them from getting other free agents in the future because they were already going to be capped out. So it's it's not like the Lakers paying Mozgov or, 
you know, some of the other bad signings that happened this offseason. It's a very different thing. You know, it is it is I think it'll end up being bad. I mean, it's not catastrophic in that way. And, you know, that does, in a, in a sense, make it more palatable. And the other part of that, which Terry Stotts deserves immense credit for, is that one of the other ways a signing like Evan Turner can hurt your team is if the coach feels an inordinate amount of pressure to do what is not best for the team because of the contract. And to his credit, they've already gone away from that. You know, Evan Turner is not starting games. We'll see. You guys would know better than I if he's finishing games. But you, you like that that kind of circumstance, you know, like that's one of the other big side effects of giving a guy a bad contract. And if they're not going to have that and it's just Mr. Allen's money, it's it's terrible. But it's not that it's not that specific specific flavor of terrible that is really damaging to a team. No, it, you're not seeing it. I think you make a great point. Yeah, no, he's not finishing games. He's not even getting the most minutes off guys on the bench most nights. He, like you said, it's it's just the money that Paul Allen is spending at, at the end of the day. It's not really something that's crippling the Blazers, that's keeping them from doing something else. And that is something that they knew going in, and I think they will deal with. And so... They luckily they have two guys that are, are are really good. They have a coach that knows that just because you pay a guy seventy five seventy million dollars, excuse me, that it doesn't mean that he fits perfectly to go from start to finish with uh, a, a certain player with other players. So I, I I think the Blazers are in a good spot. Yeah, they just got to bring in Jake Lehman. Uh, can I make a formal proposal that each time you bring up Evan Turner's contract and he has a bad game, you just keep on raising the number of his contract? So, like, maybe <laughs> maybe to, tonight it's $71 million. It's kind of like Joe Bluth in his suits. Like, you just keep on raising it each time he has a bad game, and then we'll just see where it goes. It's kind of like a, I went to a Kanye West concert once at a music festival, and he started off the night saying, it's like, I can't believe there's 50,000 people. And by the end of the night, he's like, 90,000 people are here enjoying this <laughs> night with us together. And it was like, and I, <laughs> it's just like, that's, so that's going to be Evan Turner's contract for me. Yeah. There we go. That can be my contribution to Locked On Blazers, and I would be thrilled. Perfect. Uh, anything else, uh, gentlemen? Uh, before we be, before we end the evening uh, on this great crossover episode of of Locked On Blazers and Warriors, I have something. I have, I have something. Go uh, ahead, you go first. Uh, there, there, there's a quote here apparently from the locker rooms. Kevin Durant on Jake Lehman quote: Maybe he should be playing more. That's from Jen Burrell. Yes. Well, what I was going to bring up was that there were two bench stars in this game. Ian Clark, who had his career high of 22 points, and Ooh. apparently Eric Gunderson, airport buddy. And Jake Lyman. I mean, so it's it's exci- it's always exciting, and you know, you never want to read too much into that. But for the Warriors with Clark, you know, it's a little bit of a different spot because he really struggled over the last couple of games, and it looked like Patrick McCaw was taking his spot. But then McCaw got a sprained ankle, and Clark was actually horrendous in the first game after McCaw sprained his ankle. But you know, when you have a game like that, coaches remember that. And even though Clark was on the team last year, you know, coaches remember when a guy has a good game, and maybe that buys him a little bit more leeway. I, I just yeah one one thing that you just made me think of there could be a show that's basically hard knocks for like the guys on the rotation of the fringe for the Warriors because like they will surely be in the finals but they also could be out of the league 
Well, you, you mean you mean beyond the fact that JaVale McGee should just have his own show twenty four seven anyway? Right. Yeah. So separate from that, you're talking he, more his own like, his own show again. His own show again. His own show again. That's right. Like, right. Oh is, yeah. Is, is, his, what, what, is his mom in this one? Well, wasn't the other show his mom show and he was just on it? I'm a little bit confused as this, and I assume Dane, I assume Dane would remember this NBA minutia. Actually, actually, I'd have to ask Hike. Hiken would know about this. Well, yeah, Hiken. Well, yeah, Hiken probably remembers all the the facets of it. I think wasn't he the one who had to remember that they like went to the bank on one of the episodes? Like he yes. just remembers all that stuff. He's the Javale yeah. historian. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of a shame that I get to cover the Warriors for the Athletic, and he. I should just hire him as a Javale consultant along with doing all <laughs> his sports obligations. Yo, I, yo, was, uh, you got He's got to get that Javale consultancy role. I think that was what he was he was put on this earth to do. Yeah, I, I, I will mention it to the brass the next time I see them. <laughs> I, uh, I seriously will. No, hey, I, I think the world needs the, the, the JaVale insight. Yeah, and as, as much as I try to, like, as I have embraced it, I come at it from a different perspective than other people. And I do, like, it is weird because I actually think JaVale helps this team. And so I've been advocating for it not as a mockery thing not as a you know as as a as a novelty i'm legitimately interested but you know if the novelty is all we get for right now i'll root for the novelty all right uh, well uh that'll do it for uh this joint episode of locked on warriors and locked on blazers uh subscribe to both podcasts on itunes or stitcher or audio boom or tune in or google play or wherever you can get a podcast and leave us a five-star review uh because we know you want to ace is the place with the helpful hardware folks it's ace's biggest led light bulb sale of the year right now buy one get one free on our best-selling led light bulbs our four-pack of led bulbs is 9.99 and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.